Good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is going to be uh, the text where we're going to be this morning. You know, last week we saw the, the great persecutor of the church who has come now to the faith of Christ. This is such a big deal. And what we find this week is even further uh, good news that's going to be happening. Because what is going to be happening here is it's time for this prophetic fulfillment that had been talked about long ago in the time of Abraham, where this nation is going to come and be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And it's now time for that fulfillment. And so through the Jews, the Messiah was to come. And the Messiah came, one reason is to renew Israel. And the other reason was to create something that was new. A new covenant that was coming. Where all the nations of the earth are now become descendants of Abraham. Which means that we too are part of the promise that has been given. Well, now Luke focuses in on Peter. And leading up to chapter 10, there are some things that happens. And if you read chapter 9, you just read some of these things, and it's easy to just kind of read over them. And you don't think anything about it. You're just thinking, wow, here's some great signs and wonders of God. But there's more that's really happening here. In fact, there were two big things, two important events. One is that Peter heals this man who had been paralyzed and been bedridden for eight years in this town of Lydda. The other was a, a city that was nearby, a town nearby. And he raises up one of the disciples. Her name is Dorcas. And he raises her from the dead. And this is very big because these narratives have a purpose. It's more than just seeing that this power is happening and that God's work is continuing because there's something big that is about to happen. It is so big, it needs credentials. It needs the credentials of a leading apostle of Jesus. It needs the credentials of one who has the power of the great prophets like Elijah and Elisha who not only healed the sick, but also raised the dead. These folks would have picked up on this. In chapter 9, in verse 42, it says, This became known throughout Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed on many days in Joppa. With Simon, a leather tanner. Now, I don't know if you've noticed already, there is a repetition of words. And in that word is a city, Joppa. We've already seen it twice. And what's interesting is throughout this narrative, we just see Joppa all over the place. Okay? In fact, you teenagers, you count them up for me. We got two right now, right? All right, help me count the rest of them. Here we go. Verse 5, he says, now send men to Joppa 
and call Simon, who is also called Peter. In verse 8, after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. In verse 23, the next day he got up and he sat with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went with them. Verse 32, therefore send someone to Joppa and invite Simon here, who is also named Peter. When we get into chapter 11 in verse 5, this is a retelling of the account. It says, Peter began to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the town of Joppa praying. In, the, in verse 13, he says, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing at the house, in the house and saying, send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. All right, young people, how many do we have? All right, everybody's got eight. Eight times, Joppa, 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 Joppa. Let me tell you something about Joppa. It's not a real important city. In fact, this is the only time we hear about Joppa in all the New Testament. And if that's not crazy enough, then think about this. Joppa is not even where all of this is going to be taking place. The big thing that's about to happen, it's going to happen in Caesarea. Caesarea is mentioned twice. And that's where it's all taking place. And so we, we have to sit here and ask ourselves, well, why Joppa? Why is Luke repeating these things? And listen, this is the way these writers would do things, okay? So put on your thinking cap for a moment. Think back. To your, to your Hebrew scriptures, and there's one particular story where Joppa is prevalent. Somebody goes from Joppa, and they are sent somewhere. Does anyone know the story? What story? Jonah! You ever heard the story of Jonah? Right? And they go from Joppa, right? He leaves out of Joppa. <clears throat> um. So the story here is about Cornelius. Now Cornelius is a Roman centurion. And what that means to us is he's not a Jew. He is what they call a Gentile. This conversion of Cornelius will be the first of its type. And it's not that he is the first Gentile, non-Jew nationally, to become a disciple of Jesus. If you were to go to Pentecost you see that there were proselytes. Proselytes were simply those who, um, they were non-Jews, but they gave themselves over to Judaism. They became followers of Judaism. They followed the law. Not just by what the law says, but also ritualistically. The men were circumcised. Everyone would be immersed, baptized into a mikvah, okay? This is someone who completely, they became a Jew in essence. So that's why we know that the Ethiopian eunuch was then a proselyte. Although he represents another outer fringe person because he had been castrated. But now we're to a whole different kind of people here. People who, are, who have not become Jews or given themselves to Judaism. 
but they are going to be brought into the community of God's people. And this was huge. Now, Cornelius, we know, in those opening verses, it says he was a devout man, that he feared the God of Israel. He is known as a God-fearer. That's different than a proselyte. We also know that he gave money or food to the poorer Jewish believers. He prayed to Yahweh. How about that? He is a non-Jewish man, and he is seeking God, and he is interested in the ways of practices and beliefs of Judaism, but there is one major issue. He has never been circumcised as a God-fearer. Proselytes have been circumcised. But the God of Israel, it says he heard his prayer says that he has accepted his gifts, his deeds, his good deeds that have been done to the Jews. And now he is sending Peter to do something that is absolutely going to blow people's minds. We don't get it quite as much as they would have. But believe me when I say what is about to happen was very scandalous. So we pick up our reading, and we go to chapter 10, and we begin in verse 9. It says, The next day, as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop at about noon. Then he became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state. Okay, picture this. We're given a word picture. It says, He saw heaven opened. And an object coming down that resembled a large sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. In it were all of these four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth. And the birds of the sky. Then a voice said to him, get up Peter, kill and eat. No Lord, Peter said. For I have never eaten anything common and unclean. Again, a second time, a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call unclean, what I'll call common. This happened three times. And then the object was taken up into the heavens. Let me get past the recap here. Jonah and Peter, they both leave from Joppa. And they leave because they are being sent to uncircumcised Gentiles or a Gentile in this particular case. They both are to speak the message of God. We know that both are reluctant in going to these what is considered unclean. Both had experiences of three. Jonah had been in the belly of the great fish for three days. Peter's given the exact same vision three times. And then if that's not enough, both have the name Jonah. You're like, wait, come on. Listen, do you notice what he keeps calling Peter in this text? He calls him Simon. He says, also known as Peter. But we don't usually see this. 
In Matthew chapter 16, 18, it tells us his Aramaic name. Jesus is the one who started calling him Peter, Rock. But his Aramaic name is Simon Bar, what? Jonah. And we look at this and we're like, what? How did I miss this? I, I did this the same thing. I'm like, how did I miss Jonah in all of this? And don't beat yourself up too bad because we were not trained to read this way in our Western culture. Over the years, there's just been trying to tear apart the old and the new, making it into two books, and one being important now and one not important now. They're both one book, and they go backwards and forwards. I love the way Peyton says in the office sometimes, he says there's these hyperlinks. Let me tell you something. You can't understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament stories. And you can't understand the Old Testament stories until you see the finished product of what we find in the New Testament. Folks, it's just everywhere. They would have picked it up because that's the way they had learned to read. And we're learning to read this way. A lot of churches are starting to learn to read this way. And we, need to, we can't miss this because this is a very big deal as to what is happening in the text. Because we see an angel comes to Cornelius. All right, that's enough, right? That's big enough to say this is a big deal. But then we see that God calls an apostle of Jesus. We see that this apostle, by the way, has the power of the great prophets of Elijah and Elisha. Peter is also given a vision. And he's given this vision three times. The Holy Spirit comes and speaks, speaks to Peter in order to help him. We're going to see that in just a minute. And then on top of everything else, he just weaves in this story of Jonah. And here's this vision, okay? I don't know if this is exactly what he saw. You ever, you ever said, I'm hungry enough to eat a horse? Well, this, this would have been a good time to put a horse in there. I've never been hungry enough to eat a snake. But with this, this vision he's given, it's these unclean animals. And God tells him, go and kill and eat. He's hungry, by the way, if you read the story. He's, he's very hungry. And God says, here, I've got this picnic blanket that you can go and kill and eat whatever you want. And he says, no. And he's not trying to disobey God. That's not how he sees it. He's actually seeing it as being obedient to God's holy instructions and law that they were not to eat of that which is unclean. And all of this intervention was to show that what I have made clean, you are not to call unclean. The uncircumcised were considered unclean. He says, no longer are we calling them unclean. They too are sharing Israel's blessings. All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision he had seen might mean, yeah, the men who had, who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked direction to Simeon's house, stood at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, I love that, was lodging there. While Peter was thinking about the vision... 
Notice this. The Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them with no doubts at all, because I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, here I am, the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're here? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who has a good reputation with the whole Jewish nation, was divinely directed by a holy angel. Here it is again. A holy angel to call you to his house and to hear a message from you. Peter then invited them in and gave them lodging. But we see that Peter's still struggling, right? It says that he was deeply perplexed about this whole thing. And, and the Spirit comes to him and speaks to him and says, listen, there's three men. They, they've shown up at your house. Wake up. Get out of this little vision here. I want you to go down there. But notice what he says. The Spirit says, I want you to go with no doubts. And when he goes down, we see that the first thing that Peter asks him is, what is the reason you're here? And that may be an indication that he had doubts. Because no doubts in the Greek means to go without pausing. To go without pausing, to doubt its merit. So the men tell Peter, Cornelius had directed them by an angel. And it seems at that point that Peter finally, after all of this, he finally gets it. Uncircumcised Gentiles can be brought into the community of God. Now, we keep going in verse 24. So he gets there, and it says, The following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Okay, notice all the people who are going to be there. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter helped him up, and he said, stand up. I myself am also a man. While talking with him, he went on in, and he found that many had come together there. Peter said to him, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. And that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for you. So I asked, why did you send for me? And then Cornelius goes on, and he repeats what we have already heard about this vision that he had been given, and the angel, and all of these kind of things. Now, what I notice here is when he first comes in, Cornelius, what does he do? He bows down, and he worships Peter. Okay, that's a big no-no. And Peter deals with this accordingly. And this should tell us something about those that we disciple. You know, these are people, they may be seeking God and they're looking, at, but you know what? They're still immature. They still don't get it. And it may be here that Cornelius feels like, certainly seems this way, that Cornelius has something to do, I mean, that Peter has something to do with him being saved. But we need to understand that Peter is simply a proclaimer of that message, not the dispenser of that salvation. And we can do the same thing with preachers. We can do the same thing with people who teach us. Listen, there's, nothing, there's no glory in those people. There's no glory in me. There, that's who, who baptizes and who teaches. That's not important. The important thing is that person and God. 
And so the two... So the two of them recount what God has been doing over the last four days, and now Peter is ready to proclaim this message. And listen to this message. Listen to this message, beginning in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, In truth, I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does righteously is accepted to him. He sent the messengers to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth from the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and curing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea, the Judean country and in Jerusalem, yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted, and permitted him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us, witnesses appointed beforehand by God who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him, and through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. Are you, are you seeing that we are, just, we are just on the edge of something big that's breaking out? This unleashing of God that is about to take place. And here, Luke uses another one of those really interesting literary forms, what we call the, the chiastic form. And that's where these certain ideas are presented, and then they are presented back in a reverse order in the literary text. And when we look at the A's, in the top part, when we began, it says God does not show favoritism. The last thing he says in the A is God forgives all who believe. That's how we know he's not, he's not doesn't show favorites. So look at the B's. He says God sent the gospel to Israel first, and the latter B is he has sent them to the Gentiles. And then look at the C's. Jesus is Lord of all. And then Jesus is the judge of all. And then we come to the center of all of this which is Jesus is the Messiah. And you read it and it's telling about his life, his ministry. It's telling us about his death, his resurrection. All of this in the center. Because here's where the focus is. And everything else centers around this one thing. Our creator, folks, isn't it great that he is no respecter of persons? And, and get this about our creator being no respecter of persons, and that is the fact that, that God has always been this way. Deuteronomy tells us this. So why is Peter struggling with what is happening here? I mean, when you read the Psalms, when you read Isaiah, he constantly talked about the nations, and God is going to save the nations. So why is this such a big deal? Because when God established his covenant with Abraham, when he established it with his people at Sinai in the everlasting Torah or everlasting instruction or law of God, this sign was to be, um, of this covenant was of circumcision. See it with Abraham. So the question is, how can someone who is not a proselyte Jew, someone who has not been circumcised, 
How can they become a part of the people of God? Folks, this is where the struggle was. And later on, the Apostle Paul is going to help us understand it a little bit better. And he's going to show us that that Abraham, while he was circumcised as a part of the sign of that covenant, we also know that he was made righteous, credited for righteousness before circumcision. And that accreditation came by faith. It came by trust in God. That becomes the major thrust. And not just the major thrust of when we see Jesus walk the earth, it was the major thrust of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What was about to happen was so big they are not going to have a whole lot of doubts, those who were there that day. They may not understand what's about to happen, but something big happens. And this is where we finish off the rest of the text, beginning in verse 44. You've got to understand the magnitude of what's happening here. A lot of times we just, we just see this, we read it through. We don't understand the magnitude. This is huge, okay? And you're going to see it and hear it in them as well. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. That would be the Gentiles. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded. And here's why. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, these uncircumcised people also. For they heard them speaking in other languages and declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these from being baptized? Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name. Here it is again as we've seen all through this. In the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. The Spirit comes while Peter is still speaking. It is what we call a divine interruption. The Spirit is poured out on these uncircumcised Gentiles. This was more than the gift of the Holy Spirit where God's presence now comes and resides with us, which is a such a fantastic thing within itself. But here, they are given the supernatural ability to begin speaking in other languages, and they are proclaiming the greatness of God. And they are given the Holy Spirit even before baptism, which we've seen before as these conversions go. It's generally the opposite way around, but it's proving something. And, and these Jews who are with them, they are just absolutely floored. They're floored at what they're seeing in uncircumcised, God in these uncircumcised Gentiles. And that's when Peter asked the question to the circumcised. Can we neglect them baptism? Why is that, why is that a big question? You know, we can oversell baptism, but we can undersell it too. And they understood as Jews that baptism 
was an initiation into the body of the Messiah. Can you, in seeing that God, the very Spirit of God, is dwelling in these people in supernatural ways, can you de deny them baptism? And the answer, of course, is no. And I would love to tell you that Jews and Gentiles, they just get along with each other. This is what everybody's been waiting for for so long, but that's just not what happened. And while those there on that day, they were astonished, they were blown away by what they saw. We know that in chapter 11, there are these other folks over here, and they're hearing about it, and they're stressed out about it. How dare Peter baptize these people? And he goes over and he explains to them. He tells them everything. You know, angels and the Holy Spirit and visions and, and, and Joppa, the whole thing. And we learn that they get excited about it as well. But it continues to be a major issue. In fact, it becomes such a major issue that by the time you get to Acts chapter 15, there is a special council that is being held. And it's made up of Jewish elders and the apostles of Jesus, Paul and Barnabas, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who actually ends up making the verdict in that situation. And even this, isn't it reminiscent of Jonah? After God goes ahead and he saves the Ninevites, and there he is, he's greatly displeased. And here they were, God is saving these uncircumcised Gentiles, and there were those who were greatly displeased. But I want to focus on some things for us. And the first thing I want to notice is that God uses his servants to take the gospel. Folks, we've seen this throughout all of these discipleship examples. And can you think of anything more than what we've seen here? Where we've got an angel, and we've got the Holy Spirit speaking, and we've got visions, and we've got all of these things. You've got an apostle of Jesus. You've got the interweaving of, of Jonah, and all, all of these things. And yet God sends Peter. And God is working in people's lives, but God sends us. We can't get around that, folks. We cannot get around that. That's why discipleship and why it is so important for us to talk about this and to get back to being those people who go and we just talk to people about Jesus. The other thing, uh, and, and by the way, this is all a part of that discipleship process, isn't it? It's getting alongside of others. And really getting alongside of God and what he's doing in the lives of people. Other thing I want to notice is that discipleship is a lifelong process. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. He was a leader among the apostles. He delivered the first gospel sermon. He is given power of the great prophets of Elijah and Elisha. The Holy Spirit of God not only indwells him and has indwelled him in this supernatural way, but we notice with the story of the Samaritans, if you remember, he even 
had the ability to lay hands on people so that they too might receive the Holy Spirit. And yet, what we learn about Peter is he didn't always get it. Even Peter struggled. And I don't, I don't care how much you think you get it or how much you think other people don't get it. None of us have arrived. If Peter had not arrived with all of his credentials, we haven't either. And what I find is that God continues to help us through these aha experiences and, and doing life together within God's community as we continue to study and we continue to pray and these kinds of things. And God continues to reveal. God continues to help us. Can you see this? It's very important we see this. Peter is still struggling years later. Did you know that? With this whole same issue. And he's struggling with what other people thought. But he's struggling. And so you have Peter who is this, this guy who is spirit filled. And then on the other end of the spectrum you've got Cornelius. Who the first time he meets Peter. He bows down and he worships him. Folks. People are on varying levels of understanding. And it takes years to get to certain points in our lives. And others are not on my timetable, and other people are not on your timetable. And neither should we expect them to be on my timetable or be where I am at all times. Because otherwise, that is presumptuous. Folks, discipleship is about getting alongside of people and helping them in this process. And we can either talk about where we think everyone else should be, or we can get alongside of people. And we can share with them the greatness of God. That's where it's going to happen. That's why discipleship is a continual process. And that leads to this other thing. God does not show partiality. And I use the positive of that because I could have used the negative side, which is, but we don't. God doesn't show partiality, but, but we don't. And you may say, well, I don't. Peter didn't think he did either. We are not called to judge others. Peter was not called in there to judge him. And the reason is because Peter nor us are God. Jesus is the one who has been appointed, and he says it right there in the text. He is the one who has been appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead, not us. No one had, had more credentials than Peter. No one had more credentials. Every week, I spend hours studying God's word and praying and asking God to help me in understanding and revealing. And folks, every week, I can't tell you a week, and not that it's never happened, 
I can't tell you a week that I didn't learn something that I had not known. Because the deeper you dig into things, the more you learn. And if I am like this every week, then who am I to be judge of everyone else? When we get to the point that we believe we have it all figured out, we become judgmental. We become critical of everyone else. And rather than seeing people as God's children, we begin to see them as labels. We see them as conservative or liberal. We label them as Church of Christ or Christian Church or Baptist or Jewish. Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. It's easy to become Jonah's in the church. It's easy for us to sit back and, and declare who's, who's in, who's out, who's right, who's wrong. Who's worthy and who's unworthy. It's easy. Our goal is to walk with each other despite our differences. And yet at the same time, for us to discuss our differences in love and care for one another as we all seek to please God. Now that does something. I'm not sure how God is speaking to you through this story. But there's something here for all of us, believe me. All of us. You may be Cornelia, someone others would have never thought would ever be brought into the community of God's people. But here you are, and you're contemplating it. And God maybe have been moving in your life this week. Or you may be one of the Jewish believers, and you're just amazed at what the Spirit of God is doing in people, people that you never thought would be happening in people. Or maybe you're like some of the other believing Jews who question whether someone should be a part of God's people or if they really are a Christian because they believe differently on some things. Or maybe you're Peter and you're someone you have just continued to grow in your faith the Spirit of God just continues to, to guide you in your life and just to overflow in your life. And yet, there are some things you still just don't get. That you still struggle with. And even struggle to be judges of others. Or maybe you're Peter in that God is revealing some things to you today. Things that just may be very difficult for you to accept. There's so much here. There's so much here. And all we can really do is to ask God 
to open up our hearts and to reveal to us what it is that we are to see of ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in great humility. And we thank you, Father, for saving us. We thank you for your son who came and left the splendors of heaven to be torn apart by, by the very creation that you have made. And then to rise up again. And, and despite our failures, you still continue to pursue us and to love us. And Father, we, even though your spirit is within us, we know that we still, we do not have full and complete knowledge of all things. That we here in our Western culture, we still, we don't get everything that you have, you have given to us through your word. But Father, we're searching and we're studying here. We really are. And we have people in this church, Father, and their, their minds and their hearts are so open. They are so open to pleasing you. But, Father, even, even they, we, we fail. Father, help us to see the things that we aren't seeing. Help others to come alongside of us as we come alongside of them and we just continue to grow and we continue to gain what you have given to us that is true life. And Father, give us patience. And give us love to each other. And Father, I just pray for if there's a person here today and their heart is just about to bust at the seams in desiring and seeking you, Father, just help them make these decisions. Help them, Father, to make that final decision, just to give it all to you. And so, Father, we ask all of these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Messiah. Amen. We can help you in any way. Come, together we stand and sing.